Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett here talking with Josh Middeldorf. Josh Middeldorf is one of my favorite scientists and science writers. He's done great work, such as his book co-written with Dorian Sagan, um, Cracking the Aging Code. And uh, he's done great work on a long list of issues. And one of them is COVID, uh, that Josh has really done a great job of elucidating what's going on with all of this contradictory information that we're being subjected to about the controversial issues surrounding the COVID pandemic and the various uh, attempted remedies and vaccines and lockdowns and masks and all this sort of thing. And most recently, a really amazing uh, set of uh, Senate panels chaired by Senator Ron Johnson of my own state of Wisconsin that just happened on Wednesday. And it's it's amazing stuff, but the whole mainstream world just acted as if it never happened. There's There was no reporting on it. And I don't know whether I should be contacting my local mainstream outlets here in Wisconsin and asking them what's with that. Uh, and if, if I do, Josh, I'm pretty sure that they will just sort of reflexively dismiss Ron Johnson and his hearings and say, oh, these are all just a bunch of marginalized conspiracy theorists. And uh, nobody, you know, none of the knowledgeable experts really believes any of that. And, of course, they'll have no ground to stand on because they have absolutely no basis for judging any of it. They're completely ignorant. And apparently they want to remain ignorant. So what, what do you do with people who insist on being ignorant? <laughs> you asking me? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have any are... idea. So. <laughs> I, I live in a very liberal neighborhood. And it's one of, I think it's the longest stably integrated neighborhood in the country. We have blacks and whites living next door to each other for 75 years. We welcome immigrants. We welcome gay people. Um, when AIDS, when the whole city of Philadelphia was afraid of AIDS, we were the only neighborhood that would welcome an AIDS hospice. And yet, my and when the Iraq war came, there were peace brigades, there were peace marches in my neighborhood. I was really proud. And yet when COVID hit, everybody in my neighborhood is wearing masks and um, staying home, taking their booster shots. Um, I don't, I don't know how this got to be the norm for people who used to love peace and freedom. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the left has has really gotten psyched. It all it's all flipped so much since back when I got involved in 9/11 and then in 2006 it was the right wing that was beating up on me. False Fox News had a basic had a war on me going for quite a while there and and the rest of the white right wing ecosystem was, you know, really the the hostile attack dog against the 9/11 truth movement. And then when Obama got elected, as you suggested, things kind of flipped. Obama didn't go after the Bush-Cheney era bad guys at all, just covered up for them. And it seems that the people who voted for him sort of put themselves to sleep by doing so. And then the next thing you know, those people have become uh, the voice of the establishment. And now we have a couple of leftists, you know, people like Matt Taibbi and uh, Glenn Greenwald, who uh, are trying to figure out what's going on here where, you know, they thought they were their job as journalists was to be skeptical of the military industrial complex and corporate power and the establishment in general. 
and now they're taking all kinds of flack from the left for doing that. And it's more conservatives that seem to be supporting them and they can't figure it out. And I guess I can't either. There are others from the left. There's Mark Crispin Miller, who's an old friend of mine from the election integrity movement. And he's an old lefty who's uh, just completely devoted his research the last couple of years to exposing the COVID fraud. There's Naomi Wolf, who uh, warned us about our disappearing rights in a book, what, 15 years ago. And now the the door is closing. Um, yeah, interestingly, Mark Crispin Miller and Naomi Wolf were two of the voices from the left that weren't afraid to express skepticism about the official story of 9-11. Yes. And she, she even had kind words to say about me in, in her book, The Letters to a Young Patriot book. Uh, and, and that was really you know one of the only major books you know, by a reasonably well-known figure that was actually giving me uh, favorable coverage back at that time. So I appreciate those. And I, I think it's no accident that people who are independent-minded enough to be willing to speak out a little bit, at least about 9-11, would also still be independent in, in looking at COVID. And it seems like it's worked out that way. Like if you, if you look at all the people on the left, like these people were mentioning, who are open-minded and critical about COVID, they're the same people for the most part who were open-minded and critical about 9-11. When I had my 9-11 revelation, I was just on the floor trying to figure out what was going on and how could the nation, which I'd relied on to be left-wing news for uh, all of my adult life, how could it be lying to me, uh, let alone the New York Times? And Mark Crispin Miller was the first person I whispered my suspicions to. And we kind of commiserated and agreed together that, yeah, it looks like 9-11 was a sham. The election integrity movement is was my political activism during the decade of the 2000s. Uh, I was deeply involved with people because um, it's based on statistics. So I had a job to do. I could be the statistician for a number of um, projects exploring evidence for electronic vote theft. And I'm still in touch with those people, though much less active. And I find they're split down the middle. Now that the Republicans are screaming about election theft, now that elections are even more opaque and we know even less about how our votes are counted than we ever knew before. Um, half of us are just rallying saying at last, uh, this is getting some headlines and we'll take it if it's coming from Trumpsters. And the other half say, Oh no, if this is helping Trump get elected, I'm not, I'm not going there. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm with the first group. I think, um, we have to make, alliance with Republicans if we're going to restore election integrity. But I understand some of my best friends in this movement uh, just after the Republicans stole so many elections, they can't see themselves lining up with Republicans to uh, complain now that there's evidence that Democrats are stealing elections. Yeah, Jonathan Simon seems to be one of those people. He's, he's, I've had him on a number of times, and, and he seems to really be reluctant to join forces with the uh, Trumpsters on that issue. We go back and forth, Jonathan and I. 
Uh, we've had many discussions on this issue, and we can't agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, I, I admire his work, but I oh, I, I have I so kinda, much respect I, for him, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, but you're, I, I think your analysis on this one is right. Well, let, let's jump to those hearings because these were yeah, so what, there are hearings. so many things they talked about. What do you, where do you want to go? Well, what, what do you think were the, the biggest revelations? I mean, we, we could start with, with the excess deaths. I mean, this, you know, if you really, you know, if you, if you look at the various kinds of statistics, there's so many numbers, you know, so it's, it's, it's so complex. But if we boil it down sort of to, to excess deaths, that seems to be a kind of a simpler, maybe more reliable way to look at things and these hearings featured some people with some pretty alarming information that you know the uh was ed dowd from group life saying that the 18 to 64 age group uh has been experiencing 40 percent more excess deaths that jumped in the third quarter of 2021 just at the same time as the vaccine rollout and in the uk the office of national statistics which keeps pretty good count of things is saying that vaccinated people are dying at a 26% higher rate than the unvaccinated. And young people are, uh, in particular, suffering a 49% increased risk of mortality. So these these overall death statistics, to me, are actually more convincing than like when, when Mark Crispin Miller just you know sends out three more celebrities who died suddenly in the next day, two more celebrities died. So it's like every day, another celebrity somewhere in the world died suddenly. And I have no idea what to make of that. Like maybe they were, there were people dying suddenly in the past that we, I just didn't get an email from Mark Crispin Miller every time some famous person in, you know, in China or whatever died suddenly. But uh, uh, th- these statistics of excess deaths, look really concerning and that's the kind of thing that is hard to imagine the mainstream concealing forever i agree so on mark's strategy i've spoken to him about this and he says look there are people who respond to statistics but most people don't most people respond to stories so i'm giving them stories and that's great you know i'll i'll give people statistics mark can give them stories and we hit it from both directions. Sounds cool. I, I need to talk to him and get him on the show. I haven't had him on the show. Oh, absolutely. I've He's talked a to him great in person. speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's make a concerted effort to convince him. I think at one point he was he thought I was uh, like you know too anti-Zionist or hanging out with these people who were kind of anti-Semitic, such <laughs> Brian Rue, the Buddhist Nazi, who's actually going to be the final guest on this show. He, I think, he got some kind of impression that he thought I was you know with this kind of camp of the. Yeah, the Holocaust denying anti-Semites or whatever. That's that somebody told me that. So I, I hope to disabuse him of that notion at some point. <laughs> Get him on the show. <laughs> um, you make me uncomfortable too sometimes. Uh, that's my job is to make everybody uncomfortable. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but Brian's actually coming on to to uh, to divorce Hitler to uh, to dump Hitler. He's he's done with Hitler. So. <laughs> 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 I so don't know quite news. what to say about that. But let's go back to uh, statistics, um, okay. where, where I might have something to say. Um, everybody knows that old people die more probably than young people, but few people realize just what a huge difference there is. The probability of an 80-year-old dying tomorrow is about 30 times uh, sorry, 300 times the probability of a 20-year-old dying tomorrow, 300 times bigger. So if you have a lot of excess deaths that are distributed, even if they're fairly concentrated in the older age groups, they can be hidden and you don't see a big spike in overall 
all-cause all cause mortality. If you look at the death rate in 2021, yeah, you can see it's bigger than 2020, and that demands an explanation. But where you really see a difference is when you look at young people, because young people normally don't die. Um, and the difference in death rate among old people is is bigger, absolutely, but it works out to just a few percent of the people who are dying. Whereas the healthy young people, it's it's 40 to 50 percent, depending on what age group you're looking at and who. Um, this came out with uh, statistics of several life insurance companies. They they insure employees of big corporations as a group, and these employees are in age 18 to 65, and even the 65-year-olds are healthy because they're working every day. The people who aren't healthy have retired long before that. So the death rate is exceptionally low among these people, and the insurance rates are low as a result. So it was a, uh, a year ago, I think a little more than a year ago, that they announced that starting in the second half of 2021, the death rates and the premiums they were paying out were 40% higher than in an average year. And 40% was just huge. I mean, it, they they know the odds. They've got these actuaries working it out, uh, like uh, playing Las Vegas. They know exactly how many people to depend on. They know what their risk is. And... Um, 10% more, they say, would be a 1 in 200 year risk. And they never saw or expected or planned for 40% more people dying. So just to emphasize, this is 40% of a very low death rate, 40% of people who are healthy and not normally dying. So it's hard to mask there the people who are dying because these same companies, the large companies that have the uh, group insurance are the ones who are mandated by the government to demand that their employees all be vaccinated. So you have all these healthy people who really didn't need the vaccine at all taking the vaccine, and some of them are dropping dead. And the insurance companies were the first to complain about it and actually make some headlines, at least in the business news. And um, that's the story that uh, Ed Dowd was talking about. He's a Wall Street analyst, so he right. he did and the so, statistics from that perspective. Right, and and to me, that's kind of the the most concerning thing about the all in you know, all the hearings is, is that that's really strong evidence of harm. And when one asks how could that be happening, what's the mechanism for this kind of harm? You wrote a really good introduction to your part two of your coverage of the Senate roundtable, in which you discuss how COVID is a bioweapon that the spike protein seems to be the designed agent of harm and that it's very sad or uh, even suspicious that these mRNA vaccines seem to have been designed to to work through this agent of harm by tricking the body into producing uh, spike proteins, it turns out, at a level even greater than the disease itself does. Uh, and so that would explain perhaps well, at least one of the mechanisms uh, for the, these uh, health problems, that, you know, the heart problems and all these other problems 
that seem to have contributed to this 40% rise in deaths of uh, working age people. Uh, so that's something I'm happy to talk about, and it wasn't mentioned in the hearings yesterday. Um, I have a feeling that they were told to avoid it, that uh, was a bridge too far. And um, the only person who's talking about that in the mainstream is Jeffrey Sachs, bless his heart. But let's remember that um, way back in January of 2020, there were articles appearing. I think I first read it in Zero Hedge uh, with analysis of the genome of COVID that said, gee, this sure looks like it came from a laboratory. It doesn't look like any of the other um, coronaviruses. And we had Tony Fauci. We now know from uh, FOIA emails that he engineered a pair of articles. I think it's in Nature Medicine and Lancet that said this could possibly be a bioweapon. These people don't know what they're talking about. Uh, we can see absolutely that it's evolved from nature. And if you read into that article, you see it's, it's all fluff. It's all in the abstract and it's in the conclusion sections, but there's nothing to support that in in the middle. Uh, so, so you wonder why were they hiding the fact that it was a bioweapon and why is it significant that it's a bioweapon? Well, um, that's what I love to talk about. One of one of the reasons it's significant that it's a bioweapon is that viruses, you know, we think of viruses as making us sick, but the virus doesn't care about making us sick. The virus cares about making more viruses. Fitness for a virus is getting from you to me. And if it makes you sneeze, that's great because more virus particles get out into the air. But the virus has no interest in attacking your heart or attacking your nervous system or um, making you go to bed or, God's sake, it doesn't want to kill you. It wants you to be out there in the world spreading more viruses. And that's what viruses are evolved to do, is to spread themselves. Um, so the spike protein is the part of the virus that attaches to a human cell and knocks on the door and says, uh, I, I'm a friendly uh, protein that you need. Let me in. And that's how it tricks the cell to get inside. The spike protein attaches to a receptor on the surface of the cell. And you'd expect the spike protein to be evolved to attach well to the surface of the cell. It turns out that the spike protein was the part of the virus that was engineered. We can see that because it has all kinds of differences from the spike proteins of other COVID, um, from other coronaviruses. And uh, remarkably, a footnote in this one vacuous paper, it said the reason it couldn't possibly be a bioweapon, this is sort of a, a tell in the people who wrote the paper. They said it couldn't possibly be a bioweapon because the spike protein isn't perfectly evolved to, uh, isn't perfectly adapted to enter a human cell. And it would be a perfect mate if it were engineered. Um, so that to me suggests 
not only were they deceiving us, but they knew damn well that the <laughs> spike protein wasn't perfectly adapted because the spike protein had other jobs to do. The spike protein binds to the epithelial cells that line our blood vessels and clog our blood vessels. The spike protein clots our blood. The, clot, the spike protein attacks the muscles of our heart. It gets past the blood-brain barrier, and it attacks the nervous system. The spike protein is engineered to be very toxic. And somebody knew that. So one of the um, consequences of this is that whoever was designing these, um, whoever planned for these vaccines must have, uh, well, let's bring up Tony Fauci's name. Tony Fauci both knew that this was a bioweapon, funded some of the research to do this, and was intimately involved in contracting for the um, for the vaccines. So Fauci, I don't know who else knew, but Fauci must have known that the spike protein was exactly the wrong part of the virus to use as an epitope. Epitope is the word for the part of the virus that you use to remind the body, uh, this is this is the part, this is something you need to attack. An epitope is a piece of a virus used to stimulate the immune system. They could have picked many different epitopes. They chose the spike protein. And as you say, the damage from the vaccines is probably due in large part to the fact that it's the spike protein that was chosen as an epitope. And the spike protein is the most toxic part of the virus. It's the part that's engineered to do damage. Uh, so what was Fauci thinking when he did this, when he made this decision? Uh, it's it's hard to, it it just seems to be gratuitous harm uh, at this point. And it, I, I can't imagine what was going on in his head uh, to do this. The, if you look at financial gain or gain to his reputation, I, I can't see any benefit that would have come from that. Well, so, so uh, if, in, in terms of the larger theory of what this COVID operation was really all about, besides this big you know, financial swindle, this throws cold water on the theory that COVID was a bio attack on China designed to harm their economy. And that because the West had this mRNA technology that could be used to protect our population against it, that, and, and as it mutated, we could come out with new boosters. And, you know, if we created more different uh, bioweapons, we could use mRNA technology to protect our population, whereas China couldn't and Russia couldn't that, you know, that theory uh, kind of, doesn't explain what you're saying. So actually, the theory that I see, does explain I, I see what, what you're saying, and yeah, uh, yeah the theory that explains it, is, is it would be right. a depopulation of it. it. Would be the vi the virus plus the the vaccine is is about depopulation. So we would have a Malthusian plot rather than a uh, an anti-China plot. Well, as I've said elsewhere, if this was a Malthusian plot, uh, they've really shot themselves in the foot they've killed far less than one-tenth of the population, one-tenth, sorry, one-tenth of one percent. So you guys call yourselves Malthusians. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Some Malthusians uh, you are. It's a very inefficient 
thing that they've done and they've called attention to themselves and they've got this whole movement against them. I mean, who, whoever heard of an anti, um, um, transhumanist movement, whoever heard of anti-Malthusians or, uh, before the last couple of years. I mean, they've really excited the opposition without killing a lot of people. So I I don't buy that one either. Mm -hmm. Uh, What Malone said, which I thought was really interesting. Now, Malone is originator of this um, mRNA technology. And he he thought it had great promise when he invented it back in the 1990s. And what he says is that the development cycle for a vaccine is very long, whereas viruses mutate very rapidly. And we're just playing catch up all the time, trying to keep ahead of these viral diseases with our vaccines. He said, the hope for mRNA was that you would have a universal platform. You'd have this delivery system and it's plug and play. All you have to do is substitute a new genome into the system you've already got, and within a few weeks, you could develop a vaccine to anything that came along. I think that probably a lot of the American medical establishment bought into that. That's, that's what Malone said. He said that they believed in that. They think they thought that that was going to work. It turns out that the mRNA technology itself is is very damaging, and the nanolipid particles are disastrous. They cause harm in their own right. So it's a non-starter. It's a it's really a dead end. And yet, and yet, it might explain why the uh, the establishment was so keen on these mRNA vaccines. That, that why they had faith that the mRNA vaccines were going to protect us. Well, that, that actually does make more sense. Uh, so I, I guess I would have to vote for that theory over the Malthusian theory <laughs> or, or even perhaps the uh, – well, it, the, if they had the high hopes for the mRNA pr- platform, that would take us back to the possibility that they were planning for being able to prevail in bio wars. And uh, perhaps fortunately, it's turned out that they can Fortunately, yes. <laughs> well, it's rare that I have any good news to impart, so I guess we'll settle for that. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I think I, I hear some some noises suggesting that Brian Rue is on to come and and uh, and swear off of Nazism and Adolf Hitler forever. So I guess we better go to that uh, show final half hour of the show there. Um, but people really should read your summaries of these hearings, Josh. Senate Roundtable Part 1, Senate Roundtable Part 2, and then watch the hearings themselves. I mean, this is a really important event, and the mainstream media is completely uh, asleep at the switch. And you, Josh, uh, did a really good job summarizing the what, what happened at these hearings, and it's, it's uh, mind-boggling. So anybody who hasn't yet encountered this information really needs to check it out. So thank you, Josh. And the, uh, really good the, job. Well, thank you. And the action point for your listeners is tickle your neighbors, get them into discussions. Just don't be, don't hit them hard, but just gently uh, question what they believe and why they believe it, and get these discussions going. 
Okay, well, I'm, I'm working on it with my neighbors, friends, even uh, certain relatives, including those in the medical profession and making, unfortunately, very slow progress. But hey, it, it took me uh, like six or seven years to convince my immediate family members to take a look at Building 7 and the BBC uh, conf- the BBC prediction that Building 7 would fall just a few minutes before it did. Uh, and they finally did look at that and finally did admit that Building 7 was a demolition. So at some point, maybe they'll finally look at this COVID information, too. <laughs> I don't know how many more years that will the be. The population is a complex system. It's in a metastable state. When it switches, it will switch very rapidly. And I don't know what the result of that is going to be. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it will happen precipitously that there's a huge change, uh, a turning point in our belief systems. And 9-11 and COVID and the, the whole criminal thing that uh, Whitney Webb is has been uh, – uh, unveiling for us, it will all come out in our lifetimes. The sooner, the better, inshallah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Josh. Uh, let's let's Pleasure keep to talk pushing. to you as always, Kevin. Okay, thank you. And, and hope that hundredth monkey comes along soon. <laughs> okay, take care. That's Josh Middledorf, and you can find his work at middledorf.substack.com. M I T T E L D O R F, and you can also find the links by going to truthjihad.com, which takes you to a, an Icelandic page where you'll see the radio link. Click on the radio link, and you're there at our radio schedule, and you'll find the listing for this show. And within that listing, you will find the links to Josh's uh, rather brilliant summaries of these two Senate roundtables that Senator Johnson held uh, last uh, Wednesday. And was it yesterday, or is it just just Wednesday? All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the final segment of the show here. I think I'm, I hear Brian Rue on the line. Uh, Brian, are you there? Yes, Kevin. Great to hear you. Great to have a chat. Yeah, good to have you. So I see your Skype icon doesn't show a Hitler mustache anymore. Oh, no. But I want to comment. You're just talking about MR, MNRAs, and I think the ETs might be part of that as well. That's part of the equation, I think. Right. So that's the the thing is, is you're, you're not actually, you know, going back to the mainstream here by uh, swearing off of, of Hitler and, uh, and and DEFCON 3 versus the Jews, which you've been doing for a lot longer than Ye. I mean, Ye's only been at it for two months. You've been at it for years. But I just noticed a message from you. I just saw it today that you're, you're giving up on that and you're uh, you're going for spiritual unity. But you're not going back to the mainstream because you're crediting the gray aliens with uh, being part of this transition for you. So what's that about? Yeah, I guess in one sentence, you could describe my life's mission as raising awareness about the alien agenda for human advancement. So uh, I've been studying ufology seriously since 2006, maybe 3,000 hours. And I think the the ETs are engaged with our politics or society. They're trying to guide humanity in a wholesome way. And there's there's evidence for this. It's an evidence-based view. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I looked into the UFO issue myself. I mean, I have been on and off, but I looked into it fairly extensively back in the 90s um, mm-hmm. when I was doing my dissertation because I had to read about you know claims of paranormal events and, and personal experience narratives because that's what I was doing with my dissertation work over in Morocco. So I, I read all this UFO-related stuff, oh. and it was really interesting at yeah, obviously something bizarre is going on. Either there was a real, it's been a well-funded, heavily organized effort within the government, the military, to convince us 
that there's some kind of huge alien secret being covered up or else there really is some kind of huge alien secret being covered up. It's one of those two things. I think there really is a huge alien secret being covered up. I think it's the the biggest secret in the history of government. It's uh, the secrecy itself is the second biggest phenomenon after the real phenomenon of the ETs, I think. That wouldn't surprise me too. It kind of looks that way just because I, I can't really imagine why uh, such a massive disinformation effort would have been launched to the extent that there is disinformation around UFOs, which obviously there is. It looks to me more like it's out there to make it hard for us to figure out what's really going on, given the fact that something is going on, rather than just trying to trick us into thinking something's going on when, in fact, nothing's going on, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like I actually sympathize with the governments now. Like I used to be really pushing politically for full disclosures, thinking the government should tell the truth. But now I actually believe that humanity cannot handle the truth. And this has to be done gradually, you know, step by step. And it's being done gradually over the decades by acclimatizing society like science fiction movies and things. So I've become more conservative, more supportive of the American government's policy of slow drip, drip disclosure. What about the possibility that uh, maybe part of the reason why it's hard for people to handle the truth or why the government doesn't want people to get the truth would be that this isn't actually such a totally 100 percent positive thing that is, you know, basically there's been sort of two approaches to the ET phenomenon. One is the, oh, the gentle space brothers who are here to guide us to a better future. And then the other one has been, no, they're, you know, they're, they're eating us. They're, you know, they're feeding on us. They're doing horrible things with us. They're kidnapping us. And they're, you know, doing horrible experiments on us without our consent and this and that and the other. They're really, you know, so either the aliens are the good guys or they're the bad guys in, in these two very simplistic narratives. But it it does occur to me that there's a likelihood that, well, okay, in Islam, uh, we all know about the jinn. The jinn are these kind of extra dimensional beings, some of which can sometimes perhaps manifest as physical beings in our world. And these jinn could either be good or they can be bad. They're just like I, I believe it. I believe it. I'm a Buddhist. And we have basically the same view of the devas. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The devas, the jinn. And the, the issue, though, is that, you know, if you get into the people who know about this kind of thing experientially, which would be the mystics, the people who've experienced the levels of consciousness where they actually learn these things firsthand, they warn you to not mess with them too much because it seems that it's just sort of like when I would wander around in the streets of Fez, Morocco, and the first yeah. people who would kind of come up and approach me would be the the faux guides who want something from me, namely my money, right? So yeah. in, in that ecosystem, the gin ecosystem, the first gin that will swarm around you when you go into their world or start knocking on their doors are the ones who are going to feed on you. Now, Gordon Duff, the former CIA, whatever he was, um, said, you know, he's, he claims to have had MJ-12 clearance. He's been on this show talking about how the most disturbing thing that ever happened to him with his MJ-12 clearance, uh, more disturbing than when something the size of many, many football fields uh, swooped down on him after one of his briefings. Uh, the most disturbing thing he ever experienced was that memo that said that among the many different uh, advanced intelligent life forms interacting with Earth is this intradimensional entity that feeds on human suffering and 
uh, and and uh, works with selected humans to maximize the very suffering that it feeds on in the yeah, CIA. Yeah, I think memo that's the reptilians. I, I think that's what they call the reptilians. I believe yeah. everything that you just said. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know whether believe it or not. And Gordon doesn't either. He said, "Oh, he just saw the memo. He doesn't know it's true." But he was quite offended by that memo. He seemed to think that, you know, the the memo just yeah. So it's just one of these many types of of you know of of entities that interface with Earth, and it's part of the ecosystem. So hey, don't worry about it. And he's like, "What? It feeds on human suffering. It interfaces with humans to maximize human suffering, and we shouldn't worry about it. Come on." <laughs> Sorry. You know, if your job is protecting your society, uh, like who who would be number one on the list to protect it from these things? Right. So, yeah. So so maybe the you know, within this world of E.T. and or extra dimensional entities, maybe some of it isn't really all uh, nice and sweet. And maybe that's partly why they think they want to protect us from the knowledge. But on the other hand, maybe we have a power structure that includes a whole lot of people who are interacting with precisely this particular entity. These you're calling them reptilians, the, yes. the ones that feed that feed on human suffering, right? The, you know, the, the the Jeffrey Epstein, these crime cabal types who seem to be you know blackmailing, assassinating whoever, uh, you know, accumulating a lot of power. So people seemingly with so much power that they can shut down truthful discussions of 9/11, of COVID, of anything yeah. else. It seems like we're ruled by some really evil people who may be interacting with the really evil entities and maybe they don't want us to know about this and they're keeping all of this secret precisely because obviously if we knew about it we wouldn't like it hey kevin you know a lot about ufos and ets i want you as a guest on the brian Rue show on revolution radio <laughs> you should be a guest <laughs> on my show we need okay, i think society stop. needs to talk about these things more so it's great we're having this conversation <laughs> that's true and, and now that you're no longer a hitler fan and card-carrying nazi um, the ADL won't come after me if I come on your show. I guess that's probably true. Yeah, I guess I'm open. So, so, a so few tell, more tell doors. us about that. Like, why? Why did you know? Because well, first I thought it was you know when you were a big Hitler fan, uh, and then it actually grew that mustache and stuff. My, my response was, "Wow, what's with that?" So I had to ask you, like, why did you do that? So now I have to ask you the opposite. Like, well, why are you stopping doing that? <laughs> Well, one reason for that is I recently had Judy Carroll on my show. She's an Australian. She's experienced the, the great tease. She's written you know, five books. I have one of them here called uh, The Zeta Message. And she used this um, um, analogy of, uh, of a pendulum and that we're on a level one planet. So the pendulum swings the most at the bottom, right? More swinging between good, bad, right, wrong, in, out, up, down. There's more contrast and conflict. Uh, at the level one, but the higher up you go, the pendulum, like a level two planet, level three, et cetera, the pendulum swings a smaller and smaller distance. And up at the top, there's more unity, consciousness, more oneness. So I'm trying to view the world from an ET perspective and not get you know into the fray so much involved in the conflict. Like during COVID, I was at all these COVID protests. Uh, so it's it, it's very conflicting to talk about these things. It disturbs people, like talking about Hitler or Jewish power you know, what's going on in the world is disturbing. So I'm trying to bring my audience up to a more of a higher dimensional perspective, like looking at things from a higher perspective. Interesting. So how do we describe that higher perspective? You know, I've, I've tried to do, you know, talk to people on the show who, who sometimes, you know, entertain these kinds of higher perspectives. Like I had Greg, Le, Greg LeVay on the show recently. He's a, a mystic uh, who was talking about the kind of God's eye perspective that mystics get. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, you could say uh, 
certainly mysticism, meditation, and in the whole UFO field, like I should mention, Grant Cameron, he's our most famous Canadian ufologist. He says, uh, understanding ETs and UFOs is it's about consciousness. And he started in 1975 as real nuts and bolts ufologist, you know, chasing after UFOs. But he says, now it's really about the experiencers and it's about consciousness. And Richard Dolan just three weeks ago had a uh, He's got a video about uh, the secret effort to study UFOs, you know, within the scientific community, within this secret government within the United States. And, and he was surprised as far as back as 1985, they're they're using remote viewing to see what goes on inside the craft. And they, they even taught meditation methods and yoga techniques to better connect with ETs. This is the highest level of Ph.D. scientists within the U.S. government back in the 1980s. So it, it's really through through consciousness. I've been a Buddhist teacher since 1996. I've done taught a lot of meditation and classes. So I think that's really the the route to go to develop ourselves and to have a higher realm relationship. And it is mysterious, right? Because we're just just having a conversation sort of puts us down at a 3D level, but it's in the contemplative nature and get to more of a higher dimensional state of mind. So I think that's where the interface is with the the ETs. Yeah. Interesting. Well. So you're you're and so you're going to kind of let go of these conflict provoking topics uh, around things like uh, Hitler, Nazism and uh, Jewish issues and this sort of thing. And, you know, my my take has been, yeah, well, the, some of those issues do tend to sort of sometimes generate more heat than light. Like, you, you know, you, yeah. you third rails and, and people just utterly completely freak out. And then you have to spend your whole life trying to explain that no i'm not talking about all jewish people and this and that uh but yeah. a lot so a lot of these these re, these hot button issues and these issues that do cause that kind of conflict my my thought my, my my approach to dealing with those issues has always been you know the best way to get past the conflict is to find a way to have a conversation about these particular issues without freaking people out that yes is, yeah so that's what i've been trying to do and uh, to the and also humor, I think sometimes can defuse some of the sort of threat. Um, yeah. But but there's also so much anger around them. Like I know you know you you go to these places where the you know the the people the the genuinely anti-Jewish people uh, hang out in comment boards and in, you know comment on articles and things. Some of them are really really angry in a way that seems not really very productive. And you know you, ultimately that anger is not good for you. Right. Uh, you know, we most. Yeah, I think it's like well, you yeah. quoted Gordon Duff. I think it's like that that force. I think it's reptilian force that feeds off of that anger. They want that anger. They want that conflict. Like, say, the, the Republicans, the Democrat, they want that conflict. So in a way, we're feeding into that anger and that conflict. And I think the, these reptilians actually do feed into that. And to quote to my guest, Judy Carroll, she distinguishes the reptilians from being aliens to reptarians, which are native to planet Earth. They're native. They've been here longer than human beings. They have a feeling of entitlement, like this is their planet. Uh, so are, it might are be these a, like the dinosaurs or something? Yeah, they might have been around like 70 million years ago with the dinosaurs and they're underground here or in a or a parallel dimension or something. It's hard to understand that. But the reptarian reptarians being native to Earth another form of reptilian. And I think it's true that they actually feed off of that kind of negative energy. And it's true that they work through our, our political power structure and our, our main political power structure, like the Rothschilds is probably with that reptilian reptarian leadership above them feeding off the, the, that energy. So yeah. So we're I don't want to total David Ike territory here. Hmm? We're, we're in David Ike territory. 
Yeah, it's yeah. I think David Ike did a lot of good work in his 99 book, The Biggest Secret, talking about these reptilians, and he, he sourced it very well. With, you know, many references, and I think his basic thesis is true, and I do buy into that. And so many people, even conservative ufologists like Richard Dolan, said there's so many witnesses within the U.S. military and government said they've seen reptilians, you know, coming out of elevators in Colorado and in government building with other people wearing suits. People have witnessed this sort of thing. Reptiles and suits. Well, I know that Robert Hare's book on psychopaths in power is called Snakes in Suits. So uh-huh. maybe he, he had a clue there, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I always thought it was sort of a metaphor, right? The reptile brain, you know, that part of the deep, deeper cortex uh, that, you know, that we share with reptiles, which is more, you know, it, it basically just wants to feed and it wants to fight. And it's very total, you know, ego, self-oriented uh, that I, I always figured the reptile thing in David Icke and so on was sort of a metaphor for this egotistical part of ourselves. Well, I, Ike has been asked that many times. He said, no, I mean this literally. People say, oh, that's just a <laughs> metaphor for the Jews, right? He said, no, I literally mean reptilians, <laughs> real physical reptilians. That's what I insist, and I do believe that myself. And there's well, you know, you know, evidence-based. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be, you know, maybe you'll get off the list at the ADL, but the the um, anti-reptilian defamation league is going to come after you. If you say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian Roos says it's not the Jews, it's the reptilians. Well, I'm ready for them. I mean, nothing's happened to me since 2014. I started making all these videos, like over a thousand videos in eight years, and nothing's happened to me. <laughs> huh. I can handle the reptilians because I got the grays. I think the gray aliens are the good guys. If we, you know, it's a bit simplistic, like you said, to say the, good the alien. The grays are aliens. the good guys. Don't they kidnap people? Yeah, I think they're the good guys because many of these people have been abducted, describe a relationship over many, many years. They understand it and they they discover that they've had a good relationship. And over 80 percent when asked if you could stop this relationship, would you stop it? They said no. And 85 percent. There's a study by the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. They just recently published another book stating that. Uh, 85% described a psychological transformation or a spiritual transformation, you know, due to their relationship with the grays. Well, David Jacobs in his book, The Threat, uh, tells us that, you know, he, he thinks that these grays can't really be all that benevolent, um, given their taking people against their will and such. And, and I don't think he, uh, he, I don't think his statistics were quite exactly what you just quoted. How, how would you respond to him? I'd love to get him back on the show. I had him on the show once, maybe 12 or 13 years ago. And, uh, it's, it's that book, The Threat is, is definitely one of the, you know, sort of important UFO books. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah well, you yeah, know, so I've, I've, I've tried to get him on my show too. I've contacted him. I have a, a great experiencer here in Vancouver who, who's been to David, or, yeah, David Jacobs house, you know, and, and, and David Jacob knows him and examine him. Well, I feel, uh, David Jacobs, many uh, people that he's interviewed, you know, and, and th- been through hypnosis have complained that he's misrepresented them, that he's too negative about the grays. And they, they said that they didn't say that the grays were it's bad. Anti-gray defamation league. Yeah. So David Jacobs has been uh, often criticized within the UFO community for being too negative and, and creating this. He started this, you know, him and Bud Hoppins created the mold of this whole view on the grays of being negative. And now many people are upset with them saying that uh, they've misread. So I, I criticize David Jacobs for that. Although he, he's a, a groundbreaker, a pioneer. He gave us a lot of useful information. So he's done a lot of good work too. But even Richard Dolan questions his, his, his judgment on this. Maybe he's just too negative about this. 
Um, but if you look at the actual, like over 4,000 people interviewed with questionnaire of over 600 questions with the Conscious and Contact Research Institute, I know Mary Rodwell, I've had her on many times, and she's part of this. And again, about 85% that said they've had positive experiences. Interesting. Well, you That's know, data. That's real data. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul Hellyer also has been on my show twice. He's ah. the former defense minister of Canada and one of the highest ranking people that's ever talked frankly about the UFO issue. And he, he has a much more positive view than Jacobs. He yeah. thinks you know, he, he would be sort of in the line along the lines of your friend, Carol, who, these people who think the reptarians, that would be these these uh, very, very uh, predatory, nasty entities are pretty much the ones ruling Earth, which would that, yeah. that would equate, equate to the top of our Earth power elite. And that out there in the cosmos, there is a kind of a federation of more relatively reasonable and benevolent. I agree. Entities. Yeah. So it's like a federation of planets. Yeah, yeah. Judy Carroll, I, I agree with that thesis. And I think Paul Hellier was right. I've emailed back and forth with him, and I've published our email exchange after he died. And I had him on a Zoom, a meetup Zoom, but he couldn't get into the Zoom. So, oh, we missed a chance to do a video with him. It's just, just months before he died. I always yeah, wanted to. Well, but I met him in person here in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> May uh, God uh, have mercy on him. Uh, he was, a, I think, a, a, a decent and an honest man and uh, mm -hmm. certainly uh, somebody who had the courage to come out and say these things that got him ridiculed in the mainstream. Right. Uh, yeah. Earth on, I remember that headline, Earth on Edge of Intergalactic War, former Canadian defense minister. Whoa, that's one of the craziest headlines I've ever seen in mainstream uh, media. I think he, he was a bit compromised by the, the power structure. He actually wrote to me, he says, I don't dis discuss names or races except for David Rockefeller. Since David Rockefeller stated that he was part of a global cabal who wanted to take over the world, and he thought it was a good thing. So he didn't want to talk about the JQ. And uh, so I think in some of his public statements, he was kind of compromised in, in his honesty. Mm -hmm. So so as you back off on these, you know, Nazi and Jewish Nazi versus Jew type issues. Yeah, uh, it's are, are you like, did, have you kind of radically changed your view of all of that or just uh, basically just want to let go of it in order to, you know, just to not deal with with the conflict? Because, I mean, if it, it has, do you see things differently uh, after dealing with Carol or? Just basically, you'd, you'd, you'd rather turn your attention elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, Ju Judy Carroll. Um, well, I, I addressed that on my, my two-page statement I, I, I sent you. I posted on my website, but also posted a seven-page long version of it on my website, brianroo.ca. And I answered that question there. I said, since I've talked to about a million people over the last uh, you know, 11 years of videos, it would upset people if I – contradicted what I said before. That would create more more conflict and the more more, oh, no. more anger. They say Brian who stabbed us in the back, you know. So I think it's better for me to just to let go and not really discuss it, not get into that. It just creates more conflict. Again, that's more 3D thinking when when we need more sort of 5D perspective. I'm trying to promote more of a 5D perspective on the world. Yeah, so it's probably best for, not for me to really go into those details or talk about it much. Okay. Well, that's going to be a, a new phase of your public life. Uh, it be is. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, like I said, since no, November 19th, I kind of had this shift in my thinking, but it wasn't until December the 4th I actually published it. And I consulted with friends and advisors, you know, and the wording, you know, <laughs> how should I word this, you know? So yeah, I contemplate upon this a lot. I gave it a lot of thought before going public with this statement. 
It's interesting that that's happening right at the same time that Ye is suddenly, you know, gone in the opposite direction. You know, he's he's yeah, gone. Def, wow. He goes DEFCON 3 and then you call off Def, DEFCON 3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was laughing, too, when I saw Ye. <laughs> yeah. 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 What do you think of that? Yeah. 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 It's it's. It, it, I, th- I think it might actually, you know, that that particular issue of like, where it gets framed in this super polarized way is kind of like, you know, Jews versus anti-Semites or Jews versus Nazis or, you know, Zionism versus Hitler or this sort of thing. That polarization, as you suggest, might actually not be all that productive. You know, I, I, I've been thinking that having gay talk about some of this would be kind of productive. I mean, we're, you know, it's really frustrating when you see Palestinians being murdered every single day and you can't do anything about it because this ethnic lobby that relates to Israel totally runs the power structure here in the United States. And so maybe if we talk about what's really going on here and talk about the power this, you know, the ethnic lobby has, that that's actually going to shake things up or open some space where we can have some conversations that could lead to positive change and save some lives over in Palestine and, and in other ways work for justice. So there's an, one, one analysis would be that this conversation opening up around yay is very positive. And then on the other hand, you know, it's turning into a circus. It's turning into a, you know, Jews versus Nazis kind of media circus with polarization yeah. and more money flowing into the ADL. And, and is that really going to help anything? You know, I should comment. I have this old Jewish friend, Shecky. I've got a meetup group called Preparing for Alien Contact. He he graduated from Harvard uh, Harvard Law School in 1971. He comes and he and we talk about Hitler and the Jews, and he understands the problem with international Jewish power. But he says what we need is a whole new conversation instead of just bashing this thing back and forth. He says we need a whole new conversation. He's on my videos, and I thought that's a good way of putting it. That's why I try to take a a higher realm perspective, and I try to take an ET perspective. Like uh, I'm influenced very much by Susie Hansen and Jeff Silver in Vancouver. He's published a book called The Rising. These are people who've been on the gray craft, know the grays throughout their lifetime, and they kind of disdain human politics. So I'm trying to see things from their perspective. I got a real sense of gray society and culture, particularly from Susie Hansen. So it very, very, very much influences my my worldview, my perspective on world politics, looking at it from a gray alien perspective. And I think it, they're wholesome. Uh, but to, to get back to what you're saying before, I think it will be something uh, kind of jarring or overwhelming for people because the nature of reality is interdimensional. You could call it quantum interdimensional consciousness, meaning no time, no space, or all time, all space. So it's not like the government will just you know, tell us disclosure and say UFOs are real and people just go back to work. No, it'll change everything because the nature of reality is interdimensional. And currently, reality is classified, and it should be classified. I think the world cannot handle the truth. It's got to go gradually, and reality itself is classified information. <laughs> Mm. Reality is classified information. That's yeah. That's a good bumper sticker. Um, well, <laughs> it really is. Minute. It really is. We only have about a minute left. So, in in less than one minute, can you give me some feel for gray culture? What is what is gray culture? How 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 can I get it, wrap my mind around that? Kind well, of I'd say there's there's more of a, a oneness, real community uh, feeling because they're telepathic. They don't keep uh, nasty secrets from each other. They're, they're, everything's open, the communication. So there's a kind of a community feeling. I think the, the, there's like a universal governing body. And then the, the mantids are like the highest level type of aliens. They're like the architects. They give the instructions to the, gray, the tall grays and the ancient grays. And then there's a little gray. So it's a whole organization of ETs. But they work together. It's a community spirit. 
I thought in terms of hierarchical construction, but it's more more of just a community spirit, sort of a, a oneness. So they they get along very well with each other, I think, and they understand the reptilians. That's part of uh, reality. I think maybe just our human karma. We live on this earth. It's our karma to live in this imperfect world. They don't have to solve all of our problems for us. So I think they accept the reptilian presence. Okay. Well, so when I walk down to Spring Green, Wisconsin, I see all these signs saying, Not I, we. It's probably the greatest. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Brian Rue. It's always great having you on. And it's thank a very you. interesting turn you're taking now. Uh, God yeah. bless. And look forward to keeping up with uh, where it goes. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be on the show. And I'll tell you on mine. Okay. Looking forward to that. Brian Rue, I'm Kevin Barrett at ProofJihad.com. Thank you for listening to Revolution.